0: Welcome to Fire and Water with Pleasance. I'm a multi-passionate Jew-witchy woman in total coherence with herself. Rising Kohenit, that's a Hebrew priestess and adjunct professor. In these creations, I dive into topics of healing and wholeness, all at the intersection of intuition, intellect, and integration. These creations are within the context of a more liberated, just, and equitable world. Working with elemental healing, nervous system repair, natural rhythms, and regenerative practices, I bridge the past, present, and future, weaving in global wisdom traditions and mystical teachings, translating them for our modern lives. We orient towards physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, energetic, and relational health, exploring death and grief as intentional living practices, ancestral reverence and healing, and we'll dive into rituals and ceremonies and practices for daily life. Let's talk about the great mystery we are living in, the sacred and mundane, the domestic and the divine welcome wise ones seekers old souls modern mystics those of us who have a deep reverence for spiritual and divine realms and who also pay bills maybe raise kids or communities and tend relationships we are the people who want to heal the earth and her children join me in this wild weird and wonderful world and may these creations be of service to your head Heart, hands, and healing. In December 2021, I attended a legacy trip to Alabama. Legacy trips were created by Tina Strawn, and this is a pilgrimage to sacred land in our country about our history. On this trip, I met amazing humans. I learned from amazing humans, teaching, sharing, learning, growing, discovering discomfort, pain, and facing the truth of our history. I'm recording this series of follow-ups a month later with participants and teachers from our trip to integrate, to share, and to um, deepen our experience together now, back in our lives after this amazing, powerful, transformative trip to Alabama.
1: Got some notes. All right. Hi,
0: everyone. Out. Here's my beloved Nikki. Hi, Nick. Hi. You can grab your notes. Don't worry. It's a very casual affair here.
1: All right. I got them pulled up. Okay.
0: I wanted to ask you, or I invited the members of our legacy trip on um, the podcast to have a conversation. We are now a month later and we've been home for a month. And so I want to start with why you chose to go, what kind of led you to the trip, and a little bit of the backstory that brought you to our December adventure.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the short answer is that I really just wanted to meet Nandi Kay in person um, and cultivate some deeper relationships on my anti racism journey. But the longer answer to all of that was that I started following Tina Strawn on Instagram in 2019 right? And um, joined Tina's Patreon community in late November uh, 2019. So when I heard about the Legacy trips, I just knew I wanted to go on a trip like that one day Um, because I had visited the Legacy Museum and the Memorial in 2018 with some friends. And so I just knew like, I want to go back and I want to go on a trip where someone can help me actually process Mm -hmm. what I'd gone and done in 2018. Right. Um, and yeah. And then Tina, just the way Tina loves people and sees the humanity of people really drew me in as I saw Tina keeping that at the center of the work that they're doing. And yeah. So I was curious, right. About participating in a trip like that. Um, yeah. And honestly, I, I was thinking about shame and guilt being such Mm. primary motivators for me early in my journey, Mm. because they were such motivators within my evangelical Christian context to do anything. And so getting out of that mindset of shame and guilt being Mm. my motivators, right? Um, I really wanted to change as a person, not just modify my behavior. Mm -hmm. And I was seeing that happen with Tina and the way that Tina approached anti-racism. Right. And so, yeah, and the people surrounding Tina. And then one of the trips was led by Letty Gore, who is a historian who I've gotten to know through Instagram and her Patreon community. So I was like, I want to go on that trip. But then it was the weekend before my kids started school. And so I was like, oh, then I keep looking at the trips, right? And then I see that there's a trip in December being facilitated by 90K and Corey Leak. And I'd heard from both of them in webinars with Tina, right? And so in one of the webinars, 90K and Tommy Allgood talked about cancel culture. And I just remember crying because of this redemptive aspect that they kept coming back to in the conversation, and so when I started a podcast, I had reached out to Nandi. And so Nandi was a guest in seasons two and three of my podcast. So when I found out that Nandi was facilitating a trip with Corey and that was in December, I was like, I can't sign up fast enough. And with all of that, I wanted to experience it with Steven, um, my husband, who was on the trip with us as well. And in some ways, you know, Steve and I had been growing and evolving together But he'll tell people things like wherever Nikki is, like, I'll be there in three months or longer, uh, sort of jokingly. Um, but it's like, I wanted to feel, I didn't want to go do this by myself. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this trip at this time, um, also because I wanted to experience it with Steven. And so we talked about it and decided to go together. So that's sort of the, the longer answer (laughs) of it as well.
0: What was that conversation with Stephen Like, was he down from the beginning or did it take him a little bit of time or were you even nervous about asking him? Like, what was that like?
1: Yeah, no, I wasn't nervous about asking him. Um, so with our, with our relationship early on, when I started, um, asking questions, uh, specifically regarding anti-racism and white supremacy, uh, he was pretty receptive and he, and he, you know, it, hopefully uh, I've talked with him about being interviewed by you, so hopefully he'll do it, but, but um, and so. he can share more of his own journey, yeah. but yeah, it was just kind of like, we had really good conversations about that. And yeah. then there were just harder conversations. Um, so, but when it came to white supremacy, he was a little resistant at first, which I think is, is normal. Um, but not like with other areas <laughs> of our lives. And so I wasn't nervous to bring this up to him because, um, yeah, we'd already had some really good conversations as far as like the money commitment and aspect of it. Uh, that was probably what I was most nervous about being like, Hey, can we spend this much money <laughs> to do this thing together? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just presenting it to him as I want to do this together and I want to feel like we're in this together. Yeah. Um, so Yeah. And he was pretty receptive to it.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I hope I get a chance to chat with him. Um, I want to go back to something you said about the conversation on cancel culture with Nandi and Tommy. Do you remember what the elements were? Was there anything specific that really stuck with you?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was really beautiful to hear them, like the way that I perceived cancel culture was sort of this. rallying people against someone and it's like, we're done with you. But Mm -hmm. then the way they framed it was this, um, there's accountability. So they're going to hopefully be repair, Mm -hmm. you know, and we see the humanity of the person on the other side. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I just, I cried on that call (laughs) because at that point I hadn't been in church for a little while, but I was like, that felt like God to me. Mm. Um, the repair like,
0: aspect, like the yeah. human
1: aspect and something that I, in, yeah. even in Christian church culture, um, I just don't see much of <laughs> like, it's like the person is either a monster, you know, or, yeah, yeah. um, yeah. or we give them a pass for whatever reason, you know? And so for there to be like, no, mm-hmm. it's both. And it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. accountability and grace you know Mm -hmm.
0: and how that's like not part of most of our family systems so it hasn't really evolved into our societal systems and so these these issues that we have on the very like prime primary primal family level have elevated now that we're we're really talking and diving into topics that need to be dismantled and pulled apart and uprooted we're using the pat those old patterns a lot of the time, so I think that there are aspects of cancel culture that don't have repair. And I love that we're t- we're, we're broadening the narrative, as one might say. <laughs> That's the name of Nikki's podcast. That's why I'm laughing. Um, you know, opening up to be like, yes, there's you know, cancel culture is not just this; it's accountability and repair as well, and growth. Like we can't grow if we don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. So I want to know what are the biggest, um, since I've been back, a lot of people have said to me, Oh, I'm going to go take my family or I'm going to go by myself. And I have been encouraging them to do a communal, a community-based trip, a black led trip, um, as, um, I'm just encouraging that. So tell me a little bit about the difference for you of going alone or on your own it sounded like you went with some friends versus a community Mm. black led trip what was what are those takeaways like for you
1: yeah yeah so when I was preparing for this uh I kind of get into some of this because of the question you asked about what did you think you might experience right so I had this one thing I could kind of look back to as uh having gone before but it's like when I went in 2018 with some friends, I carried all this grief during and after the trip, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have community afterwards, uh, Mm -hmm. like what we had on our trip to really be able to process once I left Mm -hmm. the memorial and left the museum. And once I was home and it wasn't because those people didn't care about me and it wasn't because they weren't available for processing Mm -hmm. what we went through, but because none of us at that time were really prepared and equipped to deal with processing trauma like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and what we'd, what we'd witnessed and to kind of move that through our bodies at that time, we, we went together and it was an experience that I'm grateful for. But when I came back, it was like, oh, Mm. I spiraled. It felt like, um, there was some personal stuff in my life as well. And I just didn't know how to ask for help after it, how to process. Right. And so, yeah. So then coming on this trip, I was like, okay, I'm going to experience sadness. Mm -hmm. I'm going to experience deep grief. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. there's going to be heaviness about this history that we're confronting, but I really hoped just to make some connections and to have some healing community, uh, just because the, the people who I like I know who I'm becoming <laughs> with mm-hmm. Tina. Right. And so it was like, I just trusted that other people mm-hmm. were kind of on that same healing journey. And um, yes, yeah, so that was kind of how the, the two
0: mm-hmm.
1: compared in a way. Um, because yeah, I mean, I will say I did experience that gravity <laughs> that I knew I would, that I, that I suspected I would, but this time it was mingled with more curiosity, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh about what I was feeling, why I was feeling it. Um, And even when we went all together and we walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge and Corey asked us to think of a word to describe what the people who crossed the bridge during the Selma to Montgomery marches might've been feeling. The word that came to me was this resolve, right? An abiding commitment to face and fight injustice even at great cost. And so I heard you humming, while we walked. Right. And I started humming to myself a song that, that brings me some comfort. And then when you told me to place my hands on one of the stone columns at the bridge and hear the stories from the stones, I was like tearing up when you explained why. And so I was hoping you could explain why you told me to do that because I thought it was really beautiful.
0: I think just intuitively the embodiment of what are the elements that have been holding the stories and the memories like that's a very jewish um earth-based jewish tradition is to look at the elements that are around and involve them in the process so i was hearing so much from the trees um and then walking back touching feeling the stones it was like vibrating of just see us too like it felt like the stones were also holding grief and stories and memory because what we did was such a pilgrimage to truly honor the sacredness of the site felt um like visceral Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i felt like energetically you were open you would you would be someone who would be open to receiving that that was kind of my ancestor guidance was like invite this lovely human in to feel this (laughs) and (laughs) And if it's not for her, she'll tell you it's okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just remember that being really impactful to think about this idea. Yeah. And I even saw where you posted about the trees. And I think one of the pictures of the trees that you had was from, um, over the bridge. Yeah. Right. And so,
0: and it was so, do if you see that picture or you, it doesn't, you don't need to see that specific picture to, to understand that there was, that it was so sad. It was, it was desolate this tree area it was looked like something that had been left behind Mm -hmm. and was holding grief and sadness with such grace and dignity Mm -hmm. like aging in itself I don't know that's that's kind of where I'm at with it now a month later is like especially just because of all the stuff going on with the earth and our own human stories that are weaving with how we're treating the earth right now um so the stones and the trees feel really important part of the story to listen to
1: Mm. yeah yeah I think even just that practice of like being still and listening and envisioning what the stones have witnessed or what the trees have witnessed is like impactful um and so that was that was really big for me And so thanks for inviting me into that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, after that, right. We went to uh, the memorial Mm -hmm. and it was like these tears just welling up in my eyes before even getting to the columns. Right. And like the columns have the names Mm -hmm. of people who were lynched and reading, even just walking up to those, reading the different things just tears (laughs) welling up. Right. Um, and then Stephen and I, we walked around and we decided we were going to look for counties. We were connected to in South Carolina where we've lived. Um, and so if it's okay with you, I wanted to share those names and counties, um, and just read those. Um, so we saw the names, David cook, Wesley Williams, and Thomas price in Kershaw County. And I think it was Angela, who was someone else in our group who talked about seeing people with the same last name as her, and then realizing what that meant, most likely, um, of her ancestors enslaving Black people. And my maiden name is Williams. So that name, seeing it, Wesley Williams, Mm. the column, um, some more names in a different county. We saw Daniel Blakeney and Hardy Gill in Lancaster County, Willie Liepert. Tom Preston, Will Thompson, Handy Kegler, Ben Gates, Flute Clark, William Allen, and one person whose name was not recorded in Lexington County, Richard Singleton, Simon Cooper, and Dillard Wilson in Sumter County, and then in York County where we currently live, John Johnson, Frank Elliott, Bailey Dowdle, Daniel Roberts, Giles Good. Mose Limscombe, Friendly Thompson, Nathan White, and Jefferson Crawford. And so it was like the horror of it all that, that had affected me in 2018 still hit me all over again. As I read about those instances that we know about and, and like understanding that there's people we don't know about. Right. And, um, a really impactful time was seeing some names there at the memorial and then going to the museum and seeing those same names. Mm -hmm. And then you get more context for their stories. And some of those names I noticed were the names of two little girls, two small children. And I just felt this anger rise up in me. And then when we, we talked about it later and we processed that evening together, um, And I can't remember who said it, but it was something like, you know, we read the reasons for these lynchings, but we know like those aren't the reasons, right? Especially when you look at, uh, I don't remember what their ages were, but like two and four year old little girls, right? Like, you know, the reason, right? Like you can see the reason (laughs) that you want to come up with to justify it on a, on this plaque, um, or something, right. Or whatever the white people in that county or community told themselves, but like the reason is white supremacy and terror at the root of that. And so that was so tough. Right. And so when Corey shared about him feeling angry and wondering, like, where were you God? (laughs) Like, where were you? Mm-hmm. Um, in this. And like I just felt that <laughs> that question in my body. Um, yeah. right, like, where were you, God? Which is a question I've been asking a lot um the past few years. And so really um just taking that all in when Corey then said hearing the songs as you get ready to leave and being like, Oh, there you were, like in the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember you even, yeah, just talking about um for the jewish community um songs as well and so it's like oh there you were like in these songs divinity in these songs and like so i'm crying as he's saying that right um because it just clicked in me as he's talking and he's and he's explaining yes like the divinity on display and the resistance of you know in in the context where we were um of black people um, throughout the centuries to present day, like bringing it all the way to now. And so, yeah, I just thought it was really beautiful every night to gather around with each of you, those two nights and, and to just talk about what we were feeling um, in a community and where I just, I felt love both in the sense of like, I feel loved in this space and I feel love in this room and that it was this transcendental love um that again is just very new to me um to to feel um and like it's interesting steve and i were talking about like conversations to have with our kids about what to look for um in, in a potential partner, right? Like as you get older and Steven (laughs) was like
0: four, seven and nine,
1: no, (laughs) uh, four, five and seven. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So like down the row, what do we want to say to them? (laughs) Let's practice it. Um, no, but this idea of like, Oh, this idea of, um, find someone who you enjoy being with. Mm-hmm. You know, because for us, it mm-hmm. was like, find someone who believes the same way you do uh, yeah. but what happens yeah. when yeah. you no longer believe the same way. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of what I saw, and I know it's not, mm-hmm. um, I know it's not exclusive to just evangelical Christian, uh, culture, but it's like, that was my, that was my context. So that's kind of all I, I feel comfortable speaking to. So mm-hmm. I know it was there this idea of you want to line up with each other on all the things. And of course, like, I think there are some non-negotiables when it comes to, you want to find someone who loves people, you know? <laughs> um, and by love, like um, not just in a say they love people, but in a um, dismantle systems of oppression, right? <laughs> like, that, like, but in the sense of, I mean, oh man, the the rigorous, like, not wanting to be unequally yoked as the terminology was, was like vetting each other. Like, what do you believe about uh, marriage? Like before you're even dating, right? You want to make sure you you match up well with this person. And then, yeah, like what happens when you don't anymore? And so I know for a lot of uh, friends that we know, uh, that can be um, the end of it and maybe rightfully so. (laughs) Um, but for us, it's been hard, but we have evolved together. And so just wanting it, I mean, I think it's because we like each other, you know, um, like I'm in it with this human because, you know, I see the best of him Mm -hmm. and the best in him. And, um, what he's aspiring to be. Um, And like, none of us are aspirational selves all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, to just think like, find someone you just enjoy being with, who has this openness and this curiosity, and then you can grow together um, because you'll just like each other. (laughs) So, yeah, um, that's kind of just experiencing this, this love that transcended what I felt within these confined boxes, it was like the love I felt in evangelical Christianity was based on belonging to the same group, right? And so being in this right. space out right. on the legacy trip, it was like, oh, we're not all part of the same quote group, um, religiously speaking, but like we can be bound to one another um, over you know some shared values, um, and and enjoy being together and have an openness. A a compassion and a curiosity together so that's kind of yeah what I was thinking for what it felt like
0: that diversity of our group um is what builds deep trust and growth being Mm -hmm. in in homogeneous grouping it's like we've all it's like we've grown out of that like it's not it doesn't (laughs) It doesn't work. It's not a way to evolve forward for the problems we have in the world, the conversations we, we wanna be having for the growth and development. Um, so much deep trust is created within diverse communities that are foundational, like with an aim and a vision and a heartfulness of change and transformation, mm-hmm. right? If yeah. that's our foundation, that's what we're all there for the diversity brings richness and depth and trust that is not, it's, it's so interesting to have been in that group, given how many um, Jewish groups I'm in, because we have a lot of diversity within our Jewish bodies and our Jewish ancestry. um, And yet there's a thread of sameness. And so it's, it's Really interesting to be in different types of groupings and see what kind of level of conversation comes up, um, and even what kind of challenging or accountability that leads to more critical thinking and more discernment rather than just affirmation and validation for being right or something like that. And having different, you know, I think at different times, you know, this week there was uh, an incident, a Difficult incident in a synagogue in Texas and I did only really want to be with Jewish people for a few hours like that's who I trusted I was feeling a threat response. And so I was like navigating I was in a space that was non Jewish as it was unfolding And could notice myself being kind of looking over my shoulder, you know, where can I be? So I think it's fluid. And I think it's important to have a variety of communities, depending on the context, where the diversity adds to the discernment, the accountability, and the growth. And that's what I feel like we did together in a way that I couldn't have even imagined because it didn't even occur to me that we would have so much evangelical Christian. over, over our group. I, Mm -hmm. I, and I spent almost no time. So I'm like, wow, this is so fascinating. love it. Give me more. Tell me about Mm -hmm. how you're learning about racism. How, what, what's your history with this? Um, Mm -hmm. fascinating.
1: Yeah. I, uh, so one of my, in, in 2021, I started listening, uh, more regularly to the armchair expert with Dak Shepard. I love it. Okay, but listen, when when the podcast started in 2018, I, I didn't start my anti-racism journey until 2017, so I'm just going to admit, like, in 2018, I was like, I'm not listening to any white men, <laughs> right? Like, that's where yeah. I was at that point, yeah. Yeah. and so I didn't dive into it, even though I loved Deck Shepard as an actor and what I knew about him as a person, I was like, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to use my time to soak up these other things. Yeah. And, and I'm glad I did, but every once in a while, an episode would come across my feed and I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to check that one out. And then I started listening to more and more. So now I was like, when I commit to something, I'm like, I'm going all in. So I went all the way back to the beginning and started listening. And I told Stephen, I was like, I think what's really cool is that I'm going to get to hear the evolution of this white man yes. who yes. is wrestling with certain things. Right. Mm-hmm. I, it's kind of going to be, I get to see his journey in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm listening faster than one episode a week. Right. So I'm going to see that, that journey quicker. And he reminds me a lot of the men of my family in his certainty and certain things he says and claims he makes and all this stuff. But I think what sets him apart is his introspection.
0: Mm-hmm. He will
1: come back and say, yeah. I was wrong. Yeah. Right. And so i Anyways, he was talking with Brene Brown on an episode, and she said something to him about how we're more disconnected, even though we've siloed off into our groups where everyone's the same, we're more disconnected, and that it's because we're bonding with people over a common enemy. Like, here's who's out of our group.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and then people don't feel safe within the group to share what they like because you've bonded over what you hate Mm. together. And so I don't know, like, I just, I feel so much more safety now in relationships because like you said, we're coming from a a certain foundation that's true of us, but we, we hold all this space for more nuance and, Mm -hmm. um, and even like, you know, as long as it's not a non-negotiable, right. There's so much, um, so much more freedom and safety to, to say, Oh, well, the way I was looking at it was this, you know? So that was kind of what came to my mind as, as you're sharing that. And, I've just and
0: also, I feel like that. saying nothing, like sometimes I would just be listening and just listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was a gift to just say, it. I just want to sit here and listen. I want to hear mm-hmm. this diverse group of experiences. How was this like for you? What was this like for you? And just really take it in. You know, that's what I really appreciate about our trip in person and the spaciousness and just that debrief time. As you've been back in your life, I guess to start to like wrap up, what what now?
1: Mm. Yeah. So I mentioned this earlier, but after the trip in 2018, right, there was this, this spiraling for me uh, because of things in my personal life as well as uh, yeah. having gone on that trip, right? And back then I didn't really know how to honor what I was feeling mm-hmm. or how to put boundaries around what I was consuming even, um, the content and the amount of information that I was taking in, right? And so now I'm like, oh, I'm a human. I don't have a never-ending capacity <laughs> to, um, to consume, And so, and it's something I'm still working on, but on that trip in 2018 at the museum store, I remember I purchased the lynching in America report. And on page 12 of the third edition, I read in York County, South Carolina, nearly the entire white male population joined the KKK after it was formed. And if you remember York County is where I live. And when I was listing those names or reading the names, York County out of those ones that I read had the most. Um, lynching victims, Mm -hmm. right? Nine names uh, in York County. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, go ahead.
1: (laughs) So yeah, in 2018 at the museum store, I purchased the lynching in America report. And on page 12 of the third edition, I read that in York County, South Carolina, nearly the entire white male population joined the KKK after it was formed. And so York County is where we live. And that was one of the places where I read some of the names and there were nine names listed there, which was the most out of the ones that I read of the counties that were connected to. And so when I read that after having gone in 2018, I just had this despair, Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't have anyone to help me process that despair, right? And there's all this depression and isolation as a result. But after our trip, right, I didn't have that same feeling of despair. And I think, one, it was the growth that I've experienced um, since 2018. But also, I think because of the community and the connection that I was part of that weekend, um, right? So for starters, I had Steven with me on a six-hour drive back home
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, to process with, right? And And then you were intentional. Mm -hmm. About making sure that we all stayed in touch and and had asked me like, what's the easiest way for you as mom of three young kids to to communicate with each other and and being on Marco Polo has just been so sweet to see your faces and to kind of yeah, help me get acclimated back to real life, but to also get some tips on that from the group about how to integrate and um yeah, and I will say like I'm still very new to an Like this embodied living and integration therapy boundaries, Mm -hmm. uh, basically anything that helps someone be emotionally healthy, very new to all of it. Um, (laughs) and so there's a lot of knowledge that I have, like I have all this head knowledge about how to move trauma through my body, um, Mm -hmm. that I've read, but not a lot of practice with it. Um, And so, yeah, this is something that I'm learning to implement. And so when we got back, it was really difficult to sort of jump back into our lives. And Amy shared some things that I wanted to do and I haven't yet, like about the baths and the different types of salts. Um, But yeah, a couple of things that I have done since getting back to try to help me that have kind of become my non-negotiables are a daily walk and 30 minutes of quiet time, which is very different from... (laughs) in my evangelical context, quiet time and reading my Bible. (laughs) that is not what I do anymore during my quiet time. I do a lot of breathing during my like (laughs) solitude. Like I'm blocking everything out. I'm not taking anything new in right now. And so, yeah, like I started with 15 minutes and wow. have now gotten to to 30 minutes trying to build that stamina. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit of what life's been like uh, until the past week with COVID-19, as you know, hitting our house and life's been a bit of a blur since then. Um, but yeah, that's been a little bit of what it's been like coming back.
0: And what's next? What do you feel? Was there anything? It's okay if not, because I don't, I don't remember if I asked you this before, but yeah, um, Anything now that you feel more like solid or grounded where you see clearly that where your anti-racist journey is going, or like, what are the next steps or what do you feel stronger about sharing? I know you have a podcast where you've had, you can share about that. And, and is there any other things that became clear after this trip for, um, how your, what your experience is going to be like? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think it just further solidified that I want love to guide me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been such a. Such a, a cornerstone the past couple years for me, I had a very dear friend, Miss Donna Powell, who uh, passed away uh, because of cancer last year, and I got to interview her on the podcast and she had said something to me early on in my journey about how we make everything so complex, but it all comes down to love. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me. And, and that's what I talked with her about. And so, yeah, after being on the trip, it's kind of just this, this mm-hmm. further solidifying that like, I want love to guide me, not fear. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be led by fear. And, um, you know, like the, the Bible verse, um, uh, Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, or something like that. See, I'm like getting terrible at I used to be able to like do these things, um, but I keep thinking, like, you know, with all the stuff with COVID, uh, which is inextricably tied to racism, right? Like that, what we're seeing happen um, with communities, and and what we're seeing the white supremacy in the opposition towards. Um, you know even a mask mandate right or um even a mask suggestion <laughs> you know like how dare you <laughs> and so uh my brother had said to me we wore masks to one of my cousins weddings last may an outdoor wedding and we still wore masks <laughs> you know uh more so as a uh especially when we saw that some of the only black people there were wearing masks we were like okay then we're going to wear our masks you know mm-hmm. um And so it's like prioritizing other people, right? Mm -hmm. And so when my brother said to me, well, faith over fear, Mm -hmm. my response is, well, what about love over faith, Mm -hmm. right? Like what about love driving us? And so um, Mm -hmm. if my neighbor, right, is telling me and a neighbor in that, that broad sense of another human being, if my neighbor is saying, this is the way you can show love to me, then I'm going to do that, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm going to believe that th- I'm going to believe this person that they understand their experiences better than I will and, and know that it doesn't feel loving when I do fill in the blank. So, yeah, I think that that just further solidified that for me, um, to drill down into love and to couch myself there, mm-hmm. um, and to let, to let that guide me. Mm-hmm.
0: Just pausing to take that in and encouraging, like in myself and my mind's eye right now, I'm just seeing love through action and love mm-hmm. through actual mini visuals of daily life, right? That it's not something that's just um, being experienced in my body, but rather as a lifestyle habit. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big takeaways for me that Corey had said, or just kept saying was this work is our inner work. Like the mm-hmm. more that we clear out our emotional patterns and fear and shame and everything yeah. we're holding on to the clearer the love action becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like layering what he said with what you said and it is really a gift, I think, for everybody. So thank you.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, To close, will you tell everyone about your upcoming book and your podcast and where people can learn more about your
1: uh, wonderful
0: wisdom and hear your voice on the page and in their
1: ears? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, I finished my, uh, I guess what, what some people call the vomit draft of, Mm um, a memoir that is currently titled, um, restored dignity, establishing my identity apart from the pastor, my, my life revolved around. And so it really details, uh, some of that relationship that I had with the pastor, uh, for 10 years and how I left that church and really like the, the, I read this book, The Memoir Project. I don't know if you've read it, but she talks about how um, Marion Roach Smith, how a book comes down to an argument <laughs> that you want to convince your readers to believe. And so, I think the argument is that you lose okay. your sorry <laughs> that you lose yourself when you live for the approval of someone who's not yourself. And so, that's kind of even been part of my all of my journey is how to like at the end of it, like I'm accountable to myself. Um, And so not bending to whatever this powerful person in my life says, but yeah. And there was something that I saw on Instagram that I think kind of even connects back to this. When we had gotten back from um, Qasem Rashid, where he wrote some white people in the U S history, in US history, were slave owners and other white people were abolitionists. Parents who think teaching about America's history of racism shames white kids should reflect on why they think white kids will associate more with slave owner guilt than with abolitionist pride. And when I saw that and I thought about my own kids and writing this book and doing this podcast mm-hmm. and my, uh, inner work and my own healing and my anti-racism during, like all of it is like first and foremost, so that I can get healthy. Right. But then I know like my kids, like they're going to be secondary beneficiaries of any growth that any, any growth I can give in my own nervous system <laughs> and can share with them and, and can help them grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of it comes down to just trying to pave this path for, for my kids, um, and to journey alongside them and to learn from them. And so, yeah, so they've, they've helped me a lot, even, um, not in a codependent, they need to take care of mommy. Cause like, I'm the adult, I need mm-hmm. to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, like, they've been through a lot like leaving church, wow. they lost their whole community too. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and I don't know how it's all gonna play out. Um and we've been part of an online church community mm-hmm. uh in Hawaii, even though we're in South Carolina um <laughs> for the past <laughs> for the past year. So I'm like, I will go to church. <laughs> <and> <laughs> what? Couldn't get further from South yep. Carolina. <laughs> can't find anything around here (laughs) Yeah, literally for miles (laughs) yeah and so that's been really beautiful and healing and seeing them yeah it's just been really cool and so yeah there's the book um and that hopefully i don't know i'm not going to put a super strict timeline on it but i'd like to publish it by september in honor of my birthday this year um in september And then, yeah, I do have a podcast called Broadening the Narrative where I just have really beautiful conversations with people who are broadening that narrative. That was a very narrow narrative that I was taught within evangelical Christianity and um, have had really sweet conversations. And I don't know what season four will look like. Um, I told Stephen, I think think I'm going to try to do a lot of interviews and then just release them later. (laughs) Like it kind of a, which I did for season one and a little bit for season two, but by season three, I was like, started off great. And then was scrambling at the end, like felt this pressure of which on your podcast, you talked with someone about this, like early in one of the earlier episodes, um, like just letting the podcast, uh, like for your friend, her podcast be like, oh, well, I'll come back to it kind of thing. And so I think just taken that pressure off myself and to see again, like I'm learning that I have limits and that that's okay. Amen. Yeah.
0: So I think I just want to say this because it's so clear that sense of urgency and sort of Keep going, keep more, more, more is so inherently part of white supremacy culture narrative. Yeah. So I do I want to pause and savor this moment of unhooking from the need to no season four, then season five, then season six, like the endless amount of production mm-hmm. and the that key is for me, is if the creative flow um, is not in the channel, then it does become something again, externally motivated, which is part of where our power has shifted and been lost. And part of how the control has been the narrative over, um, this is where the whiteness harms everybody, whiteness harms everybody. And so just the act, just the revolutionary act of, having something you love and just saying, I don't know, I'm just going to pause or I'm going to do this step and then we'll see what happens is a real beautiful integration for allowing our children to live more full lives away from just work and productivity and urgency um, and really starting to dig deeper into worthiness and our own worthiness and value being tied to something external. Um, and that's something that I, I just always want to be in relationship with, you know, like, what are these areas of white supremacy culture that are harming all of us in all of these different ways? And where do we begin to slow down? Right. And it's that love over anything, faith, fear, shame, you know, loving self creativity, love all that. Okay you're the bestest. I could talk to you forever and ever. I know. Um, Once you publish your book and I read it, then we'll have you come back on talk about your book and do we do a whole chitty chat around religion stuff, which would be super fun.
1: Yes. I would love that. I would love that. Thank you for asking me. It was such an honor to be here.
0: Love, love, love you. You're such a gift. Thank Thank you.